underwater poo cloud. So did Weber figure out where that's Talk she. Recorded live. Scoob Obsessed, the weekly podcast. We talk about all things diving, from cool new gear, places to dive, and scuba news. Scoob Obsessed episode 230 is recorded live February 19th, 2015. Welcome back to Scuba Obsessed. I'm Darren Jolson coming to you from the blizzard side of the great state of Michigan. Joining me this week, we have Mac, the dive mentor. How are you today, Mac? I'm doing pretty good. I think I'm recovering from my snow blindness. The snow blindness? He had a lot of snow? Well, you know, we can't see with the blizzard conditions out there. So it's sort of like being snow blind, maybe not from the reflection, but when that wind whips through that loose snow, it you... You're, you're in whiteout right there. Oh, yeah. Yeah, we had a lot of whiteouts. And the snow blindness, I, I cure by just closing my eyes when I'm driving, and I, it doesn't seem to bother me as much. Works for me. Uh, it, when, when I left home this morning, I had to actually, you know, normally I would go out the end of the driveway, take a left. Well, they hadn't plowed the road. So that tells me if they didn't plow that road, they didn't plow the north-south roads that are drifting. Yeah. So I went right, and I just kind of did the maze of roads turning on ones that had been plowed. That can be dicey as long as you've got a full tank of gas, auxiliary heat sources, food and water with you, and a GPS locator. You're all right. Sorry, I was just answering somebody in the chat room. And for those who don't know, we do have a live chat room available that you can go in. That is, uh, we record every Thursday night at 9 p.m. The show number is 73759. And you can log on to com and listen to the chat room and participate. We paste in the show notes as we go along. So it's one of the bonuses of the chat room, and also the, sometimes the conversations are better than there, in there than what we're putting on the podcast. Does that mean she's not hearing us? Uh, maybe the streaming audio part on that talk to is not dialed up? No, I'm getting it that it's recording. Um, I'm not sure. She may have to you know, log back in. You know, I like to use the uh, TalkShoe Pro client. So let's go ahead and jump right on into the news. The lead story was actually provided by uh, Vanessa. She she tipped us off onto it. Uh, Hawaii tropical fish collector. If you remember, we had talked about him in the past. Uh, he yeah. was he he got his sentence today. The, the Hawaiian diver was catching tropical fish when he faced off underwater with a conservationist, ripped the breathing apparatus from her mouth. He pled guilty on Tuesday to charge stemming from the scuba diving shuffle, this according to prosecutors. Jay Lovell was diving when he was caught in camera on May 8, 2014, off the coast of Hawaii's Big Island, pulling out the regulator off of Rene Uminger, uh, director of the Coral Reef Conservation Group for the Fishes, Umginger, uh, Umberger, Berger, Umberger, okay, one of those, take the one you like, uh, has said that at the time that her group was videotaping Lovell, and in other divers, they collected fish for the aquarium trade, which is legal but nevertheless unpopular with her group. She, uh, after the regulator got knocked out, she reinserted the regulator, which this article is trying to convince us is, is required for breathing underwater. 
And I, I don't know where that came from. <laughs> and she slowly swam bank, back to the surface. The Hawaii County Deputy Prosecuting Attorney Jeff Burleson, Burleson, Burleson maybe, uh, who handled the case, said that he had never encountered one where a scuba diver is accused of using force against another diver. Lovell pleaded guilty on Tuesday to second-degree terroristic threatening at a court hearing on the Big Island. He was placed on probation for one year and given a six-month suspended jail sentence, which essentially means that he was allowed to go free. Uh, if he violates the term of his probation under the plea agreement he reached with prosecutors, he could be sent to jail for six months or a year. Neither Umbinger or the attorney for Lovell could be reached for comment on Tuesday. Uh, Umbinger uh, said last year she felt Lovell could have killed her by ripping the regulator because she was at a depth of about 50 feet or 15 meters, might have suffered an embolism if she had panicked and surfaced too quickly. And then he was kind of going the same thing that he felt threatened. But uh, I think probably what he did is he, he agreed to to plead guilty. Now, they say, was that a felony? Okay, what is terroristic threatening? Now, I'm, I'm having a lot of problem with this in many instances now. Well, I think... I. Evidently, it's not as serious as attempted murder. Terroristic threatening? That must be the in vogue word to use now, I suppose. Terroristic, yeah. Terroristic, mass destruction, all those sort of things. I I just don't know. Yeah. What, I, what about assault and battery? Well, I mean, that's what I, I thought, assault and battery. Uh, you know, threatening? Why does it have to be terroristic threatening? That, that's what I'm trying to figure. I mean, why, what, what makes it terroristic? Yeah. I think it's somebody passed a law and they were trying to use it. I mean, he should have gotten charged with something if, uh, you know, that, that was not the appropriate thing to do. I think he just, oh. is, I, I imagine he was a little bit hot-headed and went over there and... Okay, I just looked it up. A terroristic threat is a crime generally involving a threat to commit violence, communicated with the intent to terrorize, to cause evacuation of a building, to cause serious public inconvenience, in reckless disregard of the risk of such terror or inconvenience, offense property, person, but not limited to reckless endangering another per person, harassment, stalking, ethnic intimidation, criminal mischief. I think they like the word terrorist because it adds more oomph, pizzazz, means not a damn thing. Well, it, it, for the SEO, search engine optimization, it certainly would come up more often and be a higher profile. Um, I'm not sure if it applies in this case, even if that's, you know, cause he, he, it's not like it was a building, you know, he didn't, he didn't do something for the purpose. I mean, you could say he was threatening her. So they don't use assault anymore or battery. It's now terrorist assault, terrorist battery. Uh, well, it says here, a person commits an offense if he threatens to commit any offense involving violence to any person or property with the intent to cause a reaction. Well, duh, uh, cause a reaction of any type to his threat by an official volunteer agency organized to deal with emergencies, to place any person in fear of serious bodily injury ad nauseum. So basically all the other words we used to use are fine. Now they put terrorists in front of it. No, because then they can, when they're compiling statistics, which is the most important thing, uh, they will take th this, group it together and say, look at all these terrorist acts that we had to deal with. Yeah. And they got statistics, not knowing that here it is, some guy getting mad at somebody else and knocking it out. That's It's interesting. I, it's just one of those soapbox items that just irritates me. Well, it does me too. I just, I hate things. You know, we've we've got uh, good laws that would cover this. Why did we need to create a new law? I mean, if you murder somebody, they're murdered. They're dead. 
how can you have different degrees other than oh, yeah. involuntary? Well, I understand involuntary. You know, you're referring to second degree. I understand, but terroristic murder. Well, you're no. The, see, those are hate crimes. No, that doesn't according to this. So terroristic. <laughs> that's true. Ter- there terroristic murder. Item. So you could do a terroristic hate murder. Yeah. Well, that well, that would be quadruple. I, I wonder if you get three times the sentence. Huh? I don't know. I'm just, I just do, do not care for uh, those those type of approaches. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to leave it alone now. Though <laughs> <laughs> I know we could we could really go off on a tangent, but it uh, was interesting because we this has been a long time. We have covered it. We yeah. did see the video. Yeah, you know, and I always think it's interesting. You know, where they also say that in a court of law, one of the requirements that you have a what speedy trial. This has been how long? This is a year and a half, May of 2014. Well, wait, no, that's less than a year. Did I get that right? Let's go back. Look at that. Well, yeah, they said May 8, 2014. So less than a year. Yeah, but again, speedy trial. I, I think a year is considered speedy, honestly. Jeez. Yeah, and and I and a lot of that depends on you know, of course, a lot of my knowledge, other than the three or four times I've uh, been to court as a juror. Uh, most of my knowledge is based on TV shows, but it seems to be the uh, the first thing that either attorney does is ask for more time. So if both sides don't go against it, yeah, I, th- I think I think anything under a year is considered to be pretty fast in uh, law. I mean, you always plead guilty right away, and then you get a really speedy trial. It, it's interesting though, and um, it, it is good coverage. And he he basically got off pretty light because she did not injure herself. Right. And and she got what she, I mean, she didn't go down there hoping to have the regulator knocked out of her mouth, but she certainly, you know, don't waste any opportunity. It got her a bunch of press and that's what she wanted. And, yep. and uh, so I'm sure that she was not going for, you know, that'd be interesting to see because they, they were unable to get a hold of her or, the, or her attorney because the, the, the charge that they wanted got filed. It just would she think, does she think that uh, he got enough time? Right. It'll but, be interesting now because that's at the standard, so we'll see what the next one's going to be. Yeah. And then we've got uh, scuba diving rules being proposed. This one's out of the Philippines. They say the proper handling of scuba diving as an outdoor sport is what the agency mandated to regulate the activity is aiming for as it crafts an improved set of rules and regulations. So they're what they're doing is they're expecting within the next uh, this first quarter of the year They'll have the rules and regulations for final review. They said it's a product of a series of public consultations conducted by the PCSSD where various stakeholders in the industry were invited to give the input to the better the conduct of scuba diving is an outdoor sporting activity in which the country's thrust to make it a key tourism product is identified in the National Tourism Development Plan. Well, in this case, they're doing something because remember we have looked at over the couple of years we've been covering items, the number of fatalities, accidents, issues that are in that Asian network. Right. Uh, and generally it's people who come over there as tourists and what have you. Uh, so, and, and one of the obvious items was, I'm not sure if it was the, the poor quality of the instruction or the enforcement of the regulations for that. Yeah, because we've, we've had some where there was actual fatalities. Yeah. They've also had a lot of problems with, uh, I think this was the one of the countries. Or maybe it was Hong Kong who had this going on, where they were actually walking on the bottom. They had broken up coral and then made a little walkway, and they were doing those, what do you call them, snuba, where you put the little hood on, mm-hmm. and you walk along the bottom, and they had railing all welded down there. And uh, So 
I'm not saying that they needed more regulation, but they just they needed a little bit more conservation uh, going on. Uh, the the reason why this is being they want to uh, regulate this is it's a seven point one million dollar. Also, the Philippines Improving Competitiveness and Tourism Program is a $7.1 million technical assistance given to the Department of Tourism, funded by the ADB and CIDA. Uh, they go on to say how much they think it's worth currently. In 2013, uh, they were able to welcome 1,189 visitors who paid 3,000 P a head, and that's $3.6 million. Uh, and that was for uh, Tabith, Tabitha? That can't be right. Uh, and then they had Mambini uh, had 60,000 visitors, and they figured that they were spending about 200p a head for $12 million. They had April Reef was 3,850 visitors paying about 1,650 a head for $6.4 million. So they're throwing some numbers out there of, of why they're saying that it's a, a good industry for them and why they need the rules. Basically, all we can hope for is that one day they implement the rules that will be monitored so not to be taken advantage of. And, and that's the point that you would make is they're going to make the rules and how they're going to monitor it. Well, and how they're going to enforce it. Because normally, I believe out there, it, it's basically their, their Marine Division or their equivalent to their Coast Guard. And I don't know what the different districts and stuff like this, how they would do that. Do they have a commonality like a DNR? Because DNR around here can also enforce that from the aspect of the uh, die flags. So I was just sort of curious about that. Yeah, I'm not sure. but uh... Well, it, uh, we'll have to see where that takes us because uh, – we talked about a couple of months ago of the uh, supposed effort. It's called the United States Government Agency for Scuba Certification because they want to take all the uh, ambiguities and differences between all the current ones we have here. You know, PADI, NAWI, SSI. Do you mean the differences that don't exist? Well, actually, they do exist in all the ages for how young you can be for certification, the different levels of certification for 8 years old, 10 years old, 12 years old. So they're different. Well, don't the agencies recognize each other's certifications? I don't know what you mean by the agency would recognize. They wouldn't have to recognize yours. The only people we're concerned with is the guy on the charter boat says, do you have certification? No, what but like, uh, like like, now, let's just take NAWI, PADI, and SSI. And yeah. YMCA. Well, YMCA, which is no longer practicing. I, yeah, I got one of those cards. You've got one, but, uh, but I'm just saying for this, let's just pick for the for the purpose of an argument, pick these three. So if I get my open water through NAWI and then I want to do advanced open water, SSI says they will accept Patty's open water to qualify me as a prerequisite for the advanced. Oh, I didn't realize that. Yeah, and and vice versa. And we'll have to get Dave or Rich on, and I think they can verify it. But the agencies have all gone through, and and I, from what I understood is that they've gotten – they get together. They have some – I don't know if they're formal or informal meetings – but they get together and say, for these different levels, what are the skills that we're expecting? So, But it's up to each organization to determine how they teach that and how they say that somebody has got the skills. So you're going to find some differences, but they've all agreed to honor each other's ratings. Well, I, I can see how it's going to be much better for the government to do it because they do know best. <laughs> and they're really good at, at regulating and, and giving us good laws. And they have the enforcement bureaus. I mean, you've got, what? 32 different agencies that carry guns to, to do enforcement, and uh, almost anybody can carry a gun has a badge. So they'd be able to spot people in places the normal, you know, DNR, Coast Guard wouldn't even see. Yeah. Well, I, I think the reason why they want they want to do it is it gives them an excuse to go out in the water 
I mean, you got cho- choice between being in a office all day or running around the streets, or you could get out in a boat. I would pick for the boat. Oh, I would do. And I mean, it's be simple. All that we're going to do is a certification check. Yeah. So let me say that we're going to do a safety check first because there's no cost for that right now, right? Safety check. I don't believe there is. But I can see how that could go into that. Then you have to have a certification card for your equipment to prove that you've had good maintenance on it. Yeah. So you can have your little book for your regulator and your BC and a few things. And then, of course, then I have to check to make sure you're current with your license mm-hmm. and that you didn't exceed the rules of the license. Wow. You know, you might have gone deeper than 40 feet or 60 feet or something. It could be quite interesting and lucrative. For them. Yeah, oh, absolutely. But again, it's for your safety, and I'm for your safety. Yeah. Well, here's a grant <laughs> uh, for Boreham Wood and Bushy Scuba Diving Club. This one's out of the U.K. on uh, Wednesday, the 18th of February. They have been awarded £2,000 grant. The money was presented from the Hertzmere Borough Council Community Grant Scheme. The club plans to put the money to good use, subsidizing the training of new instructors and buying equipment for trainee divers. This is a great win for the club. We are over the moon with being able to purchase to increase our stock of training equipment. We're really looking forward to using it to teach even more people to scuba dive and train additional instructors who will then supplement our already very active instructor team. I'd like to thank everybody involved in putting this grant together. We are very grateful to the council for supporting the local volunteer sports clubs. See that free money? Accolades to them. Yeah, good, good for them. I'm always drawn to the difference between the their program and ours, where you know they're buying gear for the people they're training. You know, maybe well, that's... big clubs, you know, you have gear. It's like uh, jumping. You yeah. go there, you can rent the gear at a very reasonable rate, and you've got the people to teach you how to use it and jump with you. Yeah, and thing for diving. You know, and even as a mud club, we do have extra gear. If somebody needs something, we're more than able to help them out. Well, I think you could show up to a dive with no notice, and we could probably gear two divers. <laughs> Other than the suit during the winter. Oh yeah, yeah. During the winter, you, you might you might need to go skinny dipping in the ice dive, but uh, we probably got everything else. Yeah, extra towels so when you got out. Yeah, yeah. Of course, uh, Florida fishermen are taking lionfish hunting to a new extreme. Uh, They've talked about for the last six years going down and starting to kill the invasive species. Uh, lionfish, for those who don't know, are, in, are invasive on the east coast of the U.S. and the Atlantic. And uh, they're a nuisance, but they have also people decide to become quite tasty. So it, they had a competition, and the divers are going out. Descend, uh, in one case, they descended to 135 feet uh, to observe a concrete and steel-girded de- de- uh, debris pile where the fish had we're holding up. They said it's crazy. These lionfish have no fear. That's according to uh, Billups, who owns the uh, dive center in the Florida Keys. I said it didn't take them long to fill up a cooler with twitching red, orange, and brown striped fish. Some of them as long as 16 inches or 14 cent- or 40 centimeters. He says the cooler contained about 50 of them when they were done. Well, from that perspective, we have heard firsthand one of our uh, club divers uh, at the last meeting this week talked about down there in Florida. They encouraged everybody, if you caught or if you killed a fish, bring it back up. And they were filleting them on the boat. Yeah, I remember when they when they first started, everybody was all scared because of the spines and everything. And it sounds like it's become no big deal now. They're, they're well, getting... I think it's part of it. You get used to handling them, and you know how to handle them. Yeah, but they said that they were very tasty. That one guy who was flaying them, he, he said he usually took several home every, every week. And there have been articles out there that says there has been a significant impact in some areas. 
Yeah. Now that picture of the one holding that up, that's a very good shot. Let's see here. Of yeah. The lionfish. Yeah. That, and you that, do notice he's not doing that barehanded. No, he's <laughs> he's got he's got gloves on. So there's there's certainly something to be learned from people who have experience in doing it. Uh, some of them are using pole spears to do the hunting. Yeah, I think the one that uh, Richard and the club uh, found mm-hmm. was a uh, Hawaiian sling. Now, that was a nice one. Uh, yep. Yeah, we had one of our club's divers who had gone to Florida. And, uh, he, he, you know, we're pretty much grubbers up here. And it's one of those things you like to leave the environment a little bit better than when you went in. So when he was going down, he would bring up whatever he found, bottles. And it didn't seem to be many people down there were doing that. I was very surprised about that. He was talking about you'd find the depressions and uh, the bottles would hit the co- uh, coral and roll down into the depression. And, you know, he brought his, his goodie bag full up. And no one else even bothered to bring up some of the junk. Yeah. Well, the, the comment he's, they were saying was, well, I didn't put it there. Yeah. Yeah. Well, here you got those darn videos playing again. We're going to have to get some of these lionfish so and try them out so we can give a report on how tasty they are. Yeah. Somebody could catch some down there for us and ship us, you know, throw them in some dry ice and bring it up. I, I'd like to know the people before they send them to me, though, just in case. Uh, that, I, I guess that'd be true. with everybody, but I... <laughs> If you deep fry them, it should should take care of all the the heroin they're smuggling inside the the lionfish meat or other substances. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, th- another reason why we go diving, you can always something new to discover, including new species. Fiery red uh, sea dragon species has been discovered. Australia's Western Museum came across a new discovery when they mistook a leafy sea dragon for a whole new species of animal with a deep red color unlike the orange leafy sea dragon. The new species was called the ruby sea dragon. It's been 150 years since the last sea dragon was described, and at this time we thought we were there were really only two species. Suddenly there's a third species. If we can overlook such chrismatic new species for so long, we definitely have more exciting discoveries awaiting us in the ocean. They the said funny part about this, uh, when I got to these friends who happened to live there, he was talking a couple of weeks ago about having spotted some of these. Oh, really? Who is this? Yeah, that's why I thought this was so opportune that I just heard about it not two weeks ago, and here I get to see a picture of one. Now, who is that that you who saw those? Uh, my future son-in-law. <laughs> okay. Wow. So he he was yeah. down there when they in. But he lives there, so yeah. he's yeah. Australian. Yeah, well, a lot of these, they were, I imagine people had seen them and just were thinking they were a different variety. You yeah. know, sometimes it takes somebody looking at it. And in this case, they did a scan, which is kind of a really rough-looking scan picture, doesn't it? Yeah. Did you see that part, though? They say known species are commonly found in shallow depth, 51 and 72 meters. I don't consider that shallow. Well, they said it's shallow in the oceans. And then the next sentence is most scuba divers can't dive that deep, so it could explain why discovery was so new. Yeah. But between 151, that's still, I mean, I don't consider that shallow, but there's still divers popping around there. Sure, but I don't remember David going that deep. Yeah. That's cool, though. I don't look in soccer, isn't it? Looks like a seahorse. Well, that's what I would That's what I would think if you just showed me that. I go, oh, it's a seahorse. And I'm not sure they don't necessarily call the seahorse the sea dragon. Oh, yeah. You, you start getting into, you officially got to use a Latin name, which I can't pronounce the non-Latin name, so. I don't think we need to go there. No, we don't. And then on the the whole course of another reason why to uh, become a scuba diver, there's a question that was posed. It says, what can I do to help my daughter become an astronaut? And the answer by uh, Robert Frost, instructor and engineer, flight operations, says the most important thing to do is feed her interest without taking control of her interest. You have to constantly be ready 
to offer up something, but she has to feel that she's in charge of her own future. So you, so your job is to find resources and opportunities for her. And they talk about different things, and one of the things was, uh, in addition, education was scuba diving. So there you go, things to do: learn to scuba dive, learn to fly. What would be awesome though is to be able to go into that moon pool where they oh, check out yeah. their spacesuits for weightlessness. Oh yeah. They say even the divers who are somewhat used to it, it is really a different sensation because of the the cumbrance of the gear. But I would love to see what that felt like even in a moon pool with that gear on. Well, and that's not your average, you know, YMCA pool. Oh, that would be cool. That's got a little bit of depth to it. Yeah, I, I would absolutely love to go in one of those. And I understand people who have done it. I've, I've, I've talked to a few people who have gone into the pool. Well, the other closest to weightness list is being able to take somebody up doing a, a shallow S and actually making them weightless. Unless you've done that, that's an awesome. You've, you've heard of the Vomit Comet? Yes, yeah. Yeah, you can do that, and it's fun. Yeah. Not yeah. the sick part, but to, to be weightless and sort of drift around a little bit. Now, when you when you say that, you've done that, but not in a, like they usually use a, a large Boeing aircraft and just get it on that the hyperbolic arc where you've got a certain amount of time weightless. We, we've done it in, in some aircraft when we want to, like, launch a raft with people in it. You can't pick up 400 pounds off the back of the tailgate of an of a aircraft. So what he'll do is he'll go up a little bit and then drop down, and everything comes off the off the floor. Oh, and so and, then you just quick push it out. And... Oh, yeah, no, you just you got it in your hand and you walk off with it because it's light. Oh, <laughs> you got that negative. You've got that you know reverse G effect instead of you know negative G's. You have it's your you float, and so does the raft. So you just have them and walk right off with it. Oh, nice. And if you ever want to fly with me, I'll show you what I'm talking about. Yeah, yeah, we'll have to do that sometime. And then we have a marine sanctuary that's being promoted, and this is on our own backyard. They're proposing 875-square-mile area to be a national marine sanctuary that would run a 60-mile stretch from Port Washington to two rivers. They said it has advanced another step towards possible designation, according to the news release from the cities of Port Washington, Sheboygan, Manitowoc, and Two Rivers. And this is Sheboygan with an S, which tells me that has to be in Wisconsin. That's on, yes, that's on the Wisconsin-Chicago-Illinois side. So the other side is going for a marine sanctuary. Officials from the four cities stated their nomination package to the National Oceanographic and Atmospheric Administration submitted by Governor Scott Walker to be added to the federal agency to the inventory of areas under consideration for federal sanctuary designations. The 60-mile stretch from Port Washington to Two Rivers, the sanctuary would be only the second in the Great Lakes and the 14th in the United States. It would contain 34 known shipwrecks, including two of the oldest shipwrecks in Wisconsin, 14 intact shipwrecks, including four standing mass, 15 of the 34 shipwrecks are on the National Historic Register of Places. Still back to my anti-stuff, whether or not they have a sanctuary, all of that is still available to the diver or the person. Right. The only thing different is they want to have a structure of some type that you can visit, they can charge you, and they can tell you what's out there so you don't have to go to Dr. Google. Yeah. Well, uh, this is to promote tourism. So in Wisconsin, they're hoping that by doing a sanctuary, they'll be able to sell tours. They're talking about kayakers will go out to see stuff. I don't know of these these boats, how many you're going to be able to see from the surface. The majority of them, I don't believe you're going to be able to see the ones with the mast sticking up straight. Yeah. They said visitors to the sanctuary along the coast would be able to stop at the Smithsonian-affiliated Wisconsin 
Maritime Museum to learn more about the maritime history and climb aboard the USS Cobia. While in Manitoc, these visitors could also rent kayaks at the Manitoc Marina, take recreational fishing trip on Lake Michigan, or spend an entire day enjoying our downtown historic district. Sanctuary boosts tourism and encourage visitors to spend more time in our city. Isn't the Cobia, that's the other submarine on the Great Lakes? You know, I'm not, I'm not familiar with it. Because I looked that up for some presentation I was giving, and I think there were three left. Because you've got the Silver Sides up in Muskegon. Yep, that is the uh, submarine. That's part of their submarine memorial, the SS-245. Okay. So, yeah, that would have to be three. So you got that one, you got the one at the uh, uh, museum in Chicago, and then that one. Not including the ones underwater. Correct. And since we're on the, the discussion of the Great Lakes, they're saying that the Great Lake ice cover is, uh, is ahead of normal. And that, that's a little surprising because we're really not as cold as last year. The ice cover usually peaks in early March, and with a colder-than-average air this uh, this coming week, they're expecting it to reach above the average minimum nearly for a month before the average date of peak ice. Right. It, it's amazing, though. It doesn't take long. Um, I, you saw some of the pictures I took the other day. Oh, yeah. And as far out as you can see from 4,000 feet was ice. One week earlier, though, you had less than a quarter mile of ice. Much well, less. And when I was driving, and it's probably been a week and a half or so ago, when we drove north for lunch, it looked like it was all water on the way out. And then we headed south an hour later. In the distance, it looked like it was white, like we had ice at the shore, then maybe a couple miles out was open water, and then there was ice out farther. Is that possible? Yeah. Uh, you'll also have, like, pancake ice. And it'll be so much pancake ice out there, it's together, and it looks solid, but it really isn't. And you actually do have that undulating current that when you were, if you were to go low, you would notice how that really has the same wave action, except you don't have the, the waves breaking, but you still have the current. Mm -hmm. It's quite interesting. And I, I do have some pictures like that that, that show that effect. Yeah, but last year was the time I'd been out there, and you could actually see blue ice where the snow had been off of it. And you had, it was just beautiful, clear blue ice out there oh, in that, certain sections. That would be nice. I, I I mean, wouldn't that be a fascinating to be able to do an ice dive out there in Lake Michigan? Well, as soon as we get the channel open, we'll do like they did last year. Yeah. Take the Zodiacs out, tether the lines to the Zodiac so we can find our way back. Yeah. And go onto the bergs that are on the right and the left side of the uh, yeah. channel. Yeah, and that's a trick to it. Uh, we're not going to be able to pull the Zodiac underwater. No, I, I have, I've been under the ice like that, but I went through a tunnel and then came up to an intake structure to look at the, the ice above the surface. And you're talking many, many feet thick. Wow. Yeah, they said the, the uh, current extent for the ice for Lake Superior was 25.2 degrees, or 2 degrees, 2%. And that was at the end of January. Uh, Lake Huron was 48.3, Lake Erie was 94.1, and Ontario was 22.1. Uh, well, and this is also dated in January. Yeah, yeah. Since so then, Lake Erie is, it was totally froze over last week. So it went from 94.1 to now it's 100% frozen. Yeah, it was frozen. totally froze last week. Uh, this is interesting, too, because they're, this is helping uh, our lake levels because we're not having the evaporation. Yeah, I would think that... Cover. The summer would affect it, but they said there's more evaporation in the winter, which is our lake effect snow that we get. Yeah. Uh, and, and talking about the, the lakes and St. Joe River, for example, uh, there was three articles in the newspaper in the last two days on the new efforts to stop the runoff, stop the phosphate pollution 
basically from the farmers uh, to clean up the St. Joe River, which will then cut down the amount of silt and having to dredge out the St. Joe Harbor again. There was also a really good article on the, you know, the toxic blooms you've been having in Lake Erie. Yes. Um, and they're talking miles. Uh, and they've just got a new grant to spend millions of dollars. And it's, again, same thing, keeping a lot of the uh, fertilizers out by new techniques they're, they're having the farmers do, and they pay them to do it. So that's where the money goes. And, and the you other say, part was, I'm sorry? When you say new techniques, were they referring to like uh, like sometimes they'll do the blade injections? Well, they were talking about number one is don't uh, fertilize all the way out to the end of your, your crop line, which is on the embankment that goes down to the river. Put a berm or a barrier that you would have grass, but you don't actually have your your fertilizer going to the grass. So then it would leach into the water quicker. Mm-hmm. The second one was um, not to be putting the fertilizers and stuff out when the ground is frozen because then it doesn't all pre-meet into it. A lot of it gets washed off, goes to the low point, which finds its way into the water table. And the other one was they want the uh, wastewater treatment plants to do a different type of monitoring. And they really didn't go into detail about how to stop the phosphates if they see any in the in the wastewater stuff, but to be aware of it. And I'm not sure what they're going to do with the data there, but a lot of articles on keeping the health of the lakes, not to count the invasive species that we still got to worry about. Okay, let's hold on for a second. My computer is going on la la. Uh, the screen blanked and I've got a little spinning wheel. Can you hear me? Yes, I can hear you, sir. Huh. Is your audience, people in audience land hearing you too? I have no idea because my screen's blank. Oh. I can't see anything. It's gone. I don't know if this is related to me not having my uh, power supply. It's trying to go in some energy save mode, but it doesn't want to wake up from it. Yeah. Well, I know I put my bids in that uh, I've had enough of the winter. Anytime uh, Mother Nature wants to reverse course, I'm all for it. And uh, I want to see some of this global warming that they keep talking about. <laughs> I mean, it makes the ice diving a little harder, but hey, what the heck. I'll take this off water anytime. So you're still having difficulties? It's not coming back. I The problem is I don't want to kill it because I lose the whole recording. All right. Well, I'm just rambling on in case you got anybody out there and uh, and they're listening. Who, who may be listening to us? We could we can amuse them or something. Yeah. Well, come on, computer. So what part are you having difficulty with? I don't know. I mean, I just the screen blanked and now it's in spinny mode. Oh, so you're not sure if you're recording is what it is. Yeah, I have no idea if I'm recording. I ha- I can't get to another article. I can't do anything else. I mean, we're talking. Well, I can talk about the article if you want. Yeah, you can. Hopefully, if it comes Diarrhea of the mouth, and then hope you're covering it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. What, so what's the next one? Well, the next one was Savannah Harbor gets deepened, or before it does, the Confederate shipwreck must go. That was the way the titling was. And I do believe they're talking Port of Savannah, Georgia. That's what it would be sound like. And they've got the uh, CSS Georgia, which uh, which was an armored warship that never fired that shot in battle before the Confederate troops scuttled it in uh, December of 1864. Because they didn't want Mr. General Sherman taking it. Anyway, the record stands in the way of dredging the river to make room for larger classes of cargo ships. And the uh, Corps of Engineers have scheduled an update to bring the ship's wreckage to the surface at a cost of $14 million. You know, I'm I'm going to call BS on that. I don't think I I don't think they can do it for that. Well, again, uh, you've seen you've seen the one out of Charleston, correct, Donnelly? I haven't seen it personally. 
I've driven by the building where it's in. <laughs> okay, I've seen the preservation, and I've seen the model they've got outside. Yeah, I've seen that model. Right. Okay. Uh, is preserving that really that important if you have all the information about it and you have the history about it? And they're saying it's $14 million is, is a small chunk of money compared to the $706 million price tag on the dredging. But you said dredging, million, dredging with seven hundred million, seven hundred and six million dollar price. Huh, that's a little bit of money there. Uh yeah. Uh, you take a look at how much they gave for dredging all of the Great Lakes. It's not that much. So that's a huge chunk of money. Yeah, they could share that money around a little bit. Which unfortunately is probably the problem with it. They've been sharing. Well, it too much. when they say larger classes of cargo ships, I think uh, they're talking a lot bigger than we're going to find in our area. But it is interesting. They've got they've got you know some evidence to get it out of there. So it'll be interesting to see if they were able to do it. It's been sitting there for 150 years. So that's what it said about that. And then the last one you had, which I really enjoy. Okay, good was, good news, Mac, is we we are recording. Excellent. <laughs> and uh, I what I had to do and remind me next time is I had to unplug my external monitor and plug it back in. Okay. So I. I why that made a difference, I don't know. But Now, the last item you've got, I really enjoy, and I like the pictures a lot. I know <laughs> it's not of young ladies. Is it it's, the, the it's, next best, best thing? Oh, man. Divers discover a huge hoard of 1,000-year-old gold coins off the Israeli coast. And I'm looking at them. They're, they're very thin. They almost look like wafers, but they're very ornate and very, very nice looking. I would love to have found some of that. Uh, basically, they found them. Uh, north of Tel Aviv, along the Mediterranean coast, in February of 2015, which was, according to this, it said February 18th. That like, recent? That's like, so That's like today? Yeah. That's pretty cool. Well, so they is. discovered a rare haul of gleaming thousand-year-old coins inscribed in Arabic off the seabed in Israel, which they figure may shed some light on the Muslim rule in that age. Some 2,000 coins dated to the 11th century, uh, when the Islamic dynasty dominated the Middle East, have been raised from the depth. The treasure, which was probably exposed during recent winter storms, is thought to have sunk in a shipwreck near the ancient Roman port of Cassandra in the eastern Mediterranean. They said it's a great treasure from a big vessel, probably taken the hoard, probably tax revenue, to Cairo. Amateur divers chanced two weeks ago upon a number of coins, at first, they thought they were children's toys, but uh, underwater search by expert netted a thousand of the coins. A second dive on Tuesday in the same spot yielded another similar amount of coins, and the total weighed in at between five and a half to six kilograms, which is about 13 pounds. Nice. The bullion value is only 240,000. I would take that as pocket change any day of the week. Yeah. Uh, they say such coins have been found in the region, but this batch was the largest hoard ever found in Israel. Yeah, the, the problem, though, is I don't think you can take the coin and put it like in a vending machine and get a I get don't a think soda. I'd want to. <laughs> no. no. Uh, so $240,000 in bullion. Yeah. And that must that's probably just based on weight, not the historic value. Correct. Uh, the three denominations were found. One dinar weighing some four grams, half a dinar. And a quarter dinar. And, if, you know, you've heard those terms used before, but it's really neat. Uh, reflectively weighing two, two grams and one gram. And I haven't calculated that for ounces for us. but So back when the value of your coin was the rare material it held, a quarter right. was really a quarter. 
or at least a quarter as far as weight of material. Right. And back then, though, we had silver coins instead of clad. Yep. But I know gold has gone down again. It fluctuates, but it's still somewhere around twelve, thirteen hundred dollars an ounce. And two hundred forty thousand dollars is nothing to sneeze at. And if that's just bullion value, the numismatic value has got to be much higher because you're just not going to find coins like I mean, what we say, thousand years. Yeah. And they are very, very, very ornate. And you know how the people like to do the the doubloons or the uh, pieces of eight or the reals. Yeah. Or even the cougarans around their neck. This would be much nicer because they're thinner. They don't weigh as as much. Yeah, I think it's but a again, very, very pretty looking coin. Right, right. Uh, do we send this out so people can see it or not? Uh, let me see. I'll give that. Let me paste that one into the chat room. What is that little animal that always likes shiny items and catches it and runs around and hides it in your attic or something? Not just a squirrel, but I could be a squirrel and scroll those away. Yeah. Yeah, no, I'm not going to have any animals uh, who are going to save anything of that value. Yeah, I don't have anything of that value in my neighborhood. And then uh, the one article that's kind of a little bit out, but uh, divers find wreckage of Korean-era Sky Raider. And what struck me about this article was how long it had been sitting there and nobody had discovered it. Waiting for it to come up here. We don't have a link for that, do we? Oh, yes, we do. I just saw it. Somewhere. Come on. Oh, I'm hitting the wrong keyboard. I unplugged another keyboard as I was trying to get to go. wonder why that unplugged keyboard's not working. Uh, Are you dive... talking about the Sky Raider? Yep. So yeah, two that was di- the one I, I sent you, right? Yep. You sent me the article, and two divers have discovered the wreckage of a Korean War-era Douglas A-1 Sky Raider off the San Diego coastline. Dennis Burns and Ruth Yu were exploring the shallow waters off Mission Beach when they found the airplane submerged in about 60 feet. Its identification plate confirmed that it was a Sky Raider and it crashed in... 1953, the aircraft is found with two cannons on each wing and hundreds of other objects scattered about the wreckage. Divers were also able to track down the family of the pilot, Charles Kelly, now deceased. They learned that he had survived the crash, was treated and released from the hospital, went back to duty that day. You told KSWB they'd like to turn the warwood into a museum piece, perhaps as an underwater exhibit, and they're working with the San Diego Air and Space Museum to achieve that. The Sky Raider is a single-seat Piston-powered aircraft produced in 1945 through the mid-1950s. U.S. military forces used it in Korean and Vietnam wars. Actually, in Vietnam, they actually reproduced that bird and used it for ground support because it carried a huge amount of uh, ordnance. And that watering, meaning it could stay around an area a lot longer than a jet could. You were really happy to see those guys. And they came around a lot when they were doing rescue for, for pilots on their even ground support, a lot of ground support. Sky Raiders had a really, really good history. Now, th- th- that's because that's a, it's a prop plane. Yes, prop plane. So it's going to be fairly energy efficient. So you could throw, if you needed extra time, you could probably throw some fuel uh, under the wings. Oh, yeah, you put wing tanks or drop tanks on it. Yeah, drop tanks, so that would give you a little bit extra time. Uh, because the jets, that, I mean, they can move and do a lot, but, you know, they, 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 they shoot their load pretty quick and sometimes they have to come back. And that's kind of the same thing with the A-10s. That they've been talking about there. The A-10s, we just sent a squadron over to uh, Spangdalem in Germany. I'm familiar with that air base because of the perceived threat from Russia, believe it or not. Yeah. Well, I think that's more of a, a show. They, it is. It, it's only 12 aircraft. Yeah, well, well, they're trying to show the alliances that, hey, if, 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 you're need, if we're needed, we'll bring something in. Plus, I've heard from people, they said that some of the advantages to those planes are the psychological value. They're really noisy, 
and they move slow. So it's not like something that's way up high skating around. You know, here's something that comes across the treetops, and then you see it, and then when it fires, they say it's pretty distinct. And it carries a huge amount of ordnance. Uh, you like it from a pilot's perspective because you got a lot of good armor. That's one of the few aircraft that's really armored for the pilot. The the, the titanium bathtub? Yes, you like that. Yeah, that's I would think deal. so. <laughs> yeah, the A-10 Warthog is, is pretty neat. And uh, um, brother-in-law, he worked on those down in Arizona years and years and years ago. But uh, they're rough-fueled landing capabilities. Two guys can change out an engine. Uh, very nice bird. But so is the Sky Raider. The only other item they talked about working with the uh, San Diego Air and Space Museum, they, they're still working with the Air Force because Uncle Sam owns all those airplanes no matter where they find them. Yeah. And you have to get their permission to bring it up. And usually you can do that if you are working with a air and, or a museum that's going to restore it. Yeah. Well, the, the chat room saying that uh, there, uh, there's a few of them that are tempted to go looking for it, saying that it's just at 60 feet. That's what amazes me. If they knew the pilot survived and he got out, they must have had the location. I'm surprised they did not find it before now. Right, because they said that the armaments were still on it. Yes, and 60 feet is nothing. No, it's nothing. And then look at where it's at, San Diego. You can't tell me there hasn't been 100,000 divers who've been in, the, in those waters in the last 25, 30 years. But by the same token, in 60 foot, you're not normally doing a beach dive. Unless that's, you got a nice drop off. That's true. And then They're if you don't know there's something out there, then why is a boat anchoring to drop people right. in the water? Right. I'd love to have seen some underwater shots of it. Yeah, you know there's gonna there's gonna have to be some good ones coming up. They're probably trying to keep it a little bit secret just to so that you don't get a bunch of people on it. Because once divers I mean, you hate to say it, it only takes a couple, but there'll be stuff start to miss on it pretty quickly. But by the same token, after sixty years, the corrosion rate's gonna be such that you know, you might want you might want one of the cannons. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> just for show and tell. Yeah, yeah. If they're going to recover it and bring it up, it it'd be something to uh, to see. Right, just like the ones I do here in Lake Michigan. Yeah, I like our wrecks. Oh yeah, and we've got five that I know of in our little circle. It's just a matter of getting out there and finding it. Yep, we're going to find them. This is the year. I have a feeling this is the year we're going to find some more wrecks. I just like to find that bomber. That's going to be a nice one. Yeah, the bomber would be really nice. Yes. We, we, and there's some more airplanes. That's what just um, some surprises me. I want to know where they're at so I can so you can kind of figure out, have we just been going around them? Did the current pick them up, which is my theory, the currents picked them up and dragged them into some crevice. But then we've also got the clay banks. There should be some plane impaled in one of those. Generally, you're going to find the ones that are lost where we are at. Uh, we've been sort of scouting the areas. I know where the, the wheel came up. I know where the, the, the two bodies of the one came up. Uh, they're, they're, the only thing hanging them down there is the props, okay. meaning that's what's going to dig into the dirt and prevent them from moving. But we have so much sand movement out there, as you well know. Yeah. The only thing you're going to see on a blip is a little bit of the, co- the top of the aircraft and maybe part of the tail. But, and this, this reminds me, I was just over at my dad's this last weekend, and when we first moved to this side of the state, we were staying out there uh, north of the nuclear plant at the chalets on the lake, the A-frames. And we would frequently go out to the beach and walk along the beach. And one night, my dad was out there, and this rudder, which was it had to have been off an old sailing vessel, was just like neutrally buoyant, bobbing right along the shore. And he thought, well, that's neat. So the next day, he, uh, he was going to bring uh, me and my mom out to take a look at it, and it was gone. Oh, yeah. 
Uh, there is a wreck off the chalets. There's one about two and a half miles uh, left of the chalets. Uh, there's also train tracks that go out from the bluff out. Mm-hmm. And I haven't been able to relocate. I was out there last year with my metal detector looking for the rails, could not find them. And that just freaks me out because, you know, even through the sand, I should be able to pick those up. Yeah, they're big. I mean, it's not like it's a little bit of mass. It's quite a bit. Right. And, and they're not the same gauge railroad as, as, a, as a regular train. There were donkey engines that they used to use on a pier that went out to load lumber. But when we were there, I had found the cart and the wheels. And at the time, it's not a big deal. But now I got a person who wanted the uh, museum, the Heritage House. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're more than, you know, they're happy to have it. And I'm happy to give it to them if they take care of it. Yeah. Well, I, I think that, up, it's gonna rust. that that needs to be one of our missions this year is to go and find those. Because well, you, you've kind of got, well, what we need to do is we need to do a little research because those did not move. There, no. There, there are no waves picking up I-beams and tossing them around Lake Michigan more. You know, I could say, you know, 10, 20 meters, but not far. So if we can figure out from the old plat maps where that pier went out, we should be able to pretty much drive right to the end of it and find them. Well, back in the 70s, when that was the area we were diving, uh, at the end of the pilings that were still underwater, just a couple of feet of, uh, above the sand, at the end of it, we were actually finding broken china, and this was still in the 70s. Yeah, so it's there. Uh, in the chat room, uh, Vanessa's saying that the beaches out, out there in, the, uh, in their area drop off pretty quickly. Where is she from? Uh, Vanessa, are you in the San Diego area? Probably a little bit of a lag between. Uh-huh. And, yep, she says yep. San Diego. Down at the south side. I've been up to the northern side, up there where Surfer George is from, up in uh, San Francisco. Mm-hmm. I always thought it was going to be warm until I got there, and it's like, damn. <laughs> it's like, yeah. I need, I need my winter suit to dive up there and off of Frisco. Yeah. Well, here, here's a, uh, if you're if you're into underwater submarines, Mac, here's one for you. The only thing is that it's not going to be on our planet. It's going to be on another planet. NASA wants to send a submarine to Titan. They said studying Titan is thought to, to be looking back at a time in embryonic Earth. It's only a lot colder. Titan is the only moon in the solar system with a significant atmosphere, and the atmosphere is known to possess only methane cycle. Like Earth's water cycle, methane exists in liquid state, raining down the landscape, hydrocarbons forming rivers, valleys, and seas. Of course, you know what that looks exactly like. No, it's a drone. Well, yeah, yeah, it's uh, that would that make sense? Because it's got to go down and then come back up. It's going to be autonomous. Yeah, said it would be designed yeah. to take a ninety-day, two thousand-kilometer, one thousand two hundred fifty-mile voyage exploring the depths of the alien environment. They said uh, communicating with Earth would not be possible, and the vehicle submerged, so it would need to make regular ascents to transmit science data. They, they said the water is not gentle, or the water. The lake is not gentle. What, what do we call that? You it's can't... liquid methane. So methane lake. The valleys and seas. Yeah, well, it's a little choppy. They said it would be extremely cold, close to the freezing point of methane, which is 90 Kelvin or negative 298 degrees Fahrenheit. So uh, almost as cold as we had last week. <laughs> uh, kind of be cool. I'm I, I, For this one, I'd like to take a see him do that. And then we have a photo of the week. And this is another, we, we need to make this into a slogan for diving in the Great Lakes because I guarantee you in Lake Michigan, you will not have this problem or occurrence. So it was like, looks like some divers and snorkelers took this photo. 
and this one's out of the Daily Mail in the UK. Divers were filming a sperm whale when it did a 30-meter-wide bowel movement. <laughs> a group of divers received the surprise when they were engulfed by a giant underwater poo cloud while photographing the sperm whale underwater. They, it's now being called Poonado by the Canadian photographer Carrie Wilk. 30, a particular behavior is thought to have been evidence of a rarely seen defense mechanism. What, I'll shit you if you said... <laughs> You know, it's you beautiful. Know better, it's like an octopus, but man, yeah, yeah, yeah. you get you could get inked or you get pooed. Uh, they said it was a the, the the sperm whale let go loose with a massive bowel movement. It turned the water deep red brown colors. The substance filled the water all the way around the whale and the divers. But it is beautiful photos, isn't it? Almost looks like a like an alien scape. That that one shot, the water is so blue, and then you can see the different tints of deep brown, light brown. <laughs> not so nice brown but that it's a good shot it is but like i said i saw the skin divers <laughs> and it's like they're gonna have a little bit of fun here you need, need a little decon at the end of that dive yeah don't take the snorkel out of your mouth yes <laughs> it, it's, it's unfortunate that people on the radio can't see this because oh, it's, it's freaking awesome it's it's a beautiful uh, well, I wouldn't go for the beautiful, but it's it's different. I want video. After spotting the aquatic uh, mammal in the waters off the island of Dominica, uh, four free divers began to take pictures as part of a government-approved expedition. The routine dive took a turn for the strange, and the whale began doing its business. Uh, whirlwind of excrement by spinning and flapping its tail. <laughs> wow. And then they got some more photos down below, Mac. Yes, I went and I looked at all uh, of that. Oh, that's, and then they had some about giving booth. The four of us looked at each other with confusion, then back at the whale, expecting that any second its call from nature would come to an end. Instead, the whale bobbed up and down, spun circles, waved the poo in every direction for several minutes while we just sat back and watched. <laughs> the water was crystal. I'm giggling because I'm looking at the videos as you're talking, and it looks just like you're describing. Yeah, the water was crystal clear initially. It was the most idyllic Caribbean blue that you can imagine. A few waves of feces released during vigorously. It was like chocolate milk. I couldn't see my hand when I held it in front of my face. I'm not thinking, I'm not thinking chocolate milk. <laughs> I had poop in my eyes, mouth, wetsuit everywhere. I was soaked from head to toe. But after leaving the cloud, it quickly washed away. It didn't leave a smell on us. I did take an extra long shower once I returned to the shore later that day, just in case. I never heard of it happening before, and I don't know anyone that has had this happen. could be the first time it has been photographically documented. I would definitely shampoo my suit really good, maybe twice. <laughs> and I'd you know, on that regulator. I don't know if I could tell my wife that happened because the, the wetsuit might not be able to come back in the house. The only thing is, I wonder if they got sound with this, because sound carries a lot. <laughs> you get like a little raspberry noise. <laughs> uh, but it looks like he did it deliberately. Well, that's what they're saying is that, and it, it does make sense that it would be defense mechanism. Oh, Daddy was having a lot of fun with you guys, like you're irritating me. I mean, for, you can imagine he's looking at you. Four, you get in a circle and you're coming at him. He says, "Screw you guys." Goes head face down, got his butt in towards you, has a foul move, and flips his, his tail fin at you. That's what the pictures look like. Well, they say they're smart. I, I can hear him talking to his buddies now. You won't believe what I did to those divers <laughs> over there last week. 
Yeah, we're not going to see them back anytime soon. Yeah. He's yeah. got him a war story to tell. Yeah. Well, that does it for Scuba in the News. I'd like to thank everybody who came out in the chat room. We had Vanessa, the Ultra Mermaid, St. Louis Sam, Surfer George also turned out this week. You know, if you aren't listening in the chat room, you're missing out. Go to TalkShoe.com or show 73759 and you can click on over to the chat room. I recommend the TalkShoe Pro Client. Even though it's called Pro, it's free. They don't charge you for it. And you get in and you can chat. And then there's a chat grabber, which I'll, I think on the website we might have links to it. So you can see all the awesome dialogue that's been going on. You can also listen to us on WRVO Radio. WRVO Radio has been gracious to put us on the show. And I've noticed they're changing their schedule a little bit. So we are on several different times. I noticed one was 2.30 in the morning. So I don't know how many people are listening then, but there are other times that were a little bit better. You get some of your best outdoor programs available. If you like the outdoors, fishing, hunting, camping, and scuba diving, you can listen to it in WRVO Radio. You can download the app. Also, you can listen to them on TuneIn, which is a, a live streaming feed. We love those five-star reviews on iTunes. It helps keep us going. Uh, we also had some people put the pin on the fan map. How you get to the fan map is you go to www.scubaobsessed.com. Uh, click along the top menu. I believe it's one of the abouts, and it's uh, Scuba Obsessed Fans. And you can place your pin in the map, put as much information in as you want. You can be as anonymous as you want. But we're trying. To, we, our goal is to have a pin for every country, every state of people who listen to the program. And it just gives you an idea how many people out there are scuba divers. So if you, I mean, we, we need to do some sort of call out. So if you're traveling and you want to go diving with somebody, that's what I, I, I tell my wife just a few months ago. I said, I bet I can go anywhere in the world and we'll have a fan who listens and we can go diving with them. That was, that was kind of my dream was to retire and just go and go scuba diving. Almost like you, Mac. Say what? <laughs> retire and go scuba diving. Well, we'd have a little more if the ice wasn't so, you know, if we didn't have such hard water lately. But yeah, we, we may just dive in uh, this weekend. I'm trying to drum up some interest. Oh, this weekend? And, yeah, we've had, well, we already had one this year, but let's, or this month. Uh, it'd be nice to get another one in. So so where are you thinking this weekend? I'm trying to get some people interested in, believe it or not, Singer Lake. It's oh. close. It's not so far out. It's going to be a muck dive. Mm-hmm. But uh, if we could get some people out there, I think the water should be thick enough. And if not there, uh, Pawpaw Lake. Okay. Well, I, I kind of favor the Singer only because it's close. Yes. Uh, for for me, Singer Lake is so ridiculously close. I could walk there even though I won't. I will drive. But we have that. I know, know we have uh, Our World Underwater in Chicago. Now, when's uh, that start? Uh, that's the 28th. Uh, it's actually the 27th, 28th, and the uh, 1st of March, which is Sunday. Yep. Uh, we're mostly going just to take a look at uh, the displays, show the colors. Yep. I know that a couple of people missed you last year. Yep. There's a, well, you know, I, I did go to Our World Underwater last year. Say again? I went to Our World Underwater last year. True. Yeah. The one I, the one that I, we had the people miss us was the one on Grand Rapids. At, Correct. Yeah. So if you're going to go and you want to meet up with us, drop us a line on Facebook. So you go to our Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash scuba obsessed. Drop a line, say what day you're going to be there, and we will try and coordinate something where we can at least say hi, maybe have some coffee or something, share some dive stories. Well, I'm going to go early enough so I can see the mermaids again. 
Were they there the last last year? I don't remember seeing. No, they them. were not. You got to catch them. They're only out there for about an hour. And I need some new photos from a couple of years well, ago. Well, you, you know, know, mermaids dry out. You know, they can't. I mean, Vanessa, isn't that true that you know mermaids you can't be out of the water that long? Uh, so you know they they dry out. So if yeah, if you don't catch them when they're out there, then you you've kind of missed out. But we do have photographic evidence that they've been there. That's true. That's true. Uh, they're very nice ladies, mermaids. Mermaids. Yep. Now we did have the mud club meeting this week which was nice yes and i forgot you didn't go out to eat though did you yeah i went out to eat yeah we we were sitting at the table you ate my dinner i think i think you were the one who ate my burrito or they just misserved my burrito misserved it they misserved it but you did get fed i did they they did uh they were gracious uh downtown bering springs is not known for its culinary opportunity you've got uh only a few restaurants other than the big fast food chains, which have only been in in the town in the last 10, 15 years. So if you want to avoid McDonald's, Pizza Hut, and Taco Bell, your choices are pretty limited. And our tradition has been to do the pizza place downtown, which uh, were was a, a genuine Italian restaurant from people from Italy, the families from Italy. Uh, but the, I think it's a new generation is taking over, and the new generation tends to close quicker than than the previous generation did so we had to go to find a backup location because that's where we eat after our dive meetings and this one was the wolf's prairie restaurant and it really wasn't wolf's prairie it was really a sportsman bar which is part of wolf's prairie well considering they had the gal behind the bar and the one guy (laughs) and the cook it was a staff of two and they had 14 people suddenly walk in they did not a bad job no uh, it, and and she was nice, but you could tell she was definitely overwhelmed. overwhelmed. Yeah, and we were trying to be as as good as possible. Uh, right. Nobody had alcohol, so it was not alcohol induced anything. No. Well, we did. I think somebody there was one person who had a, a light beer, but yeah, yeah. We we were not. Uh, I wouldn't call the Mud Club uh, a slush slushy group. Absolutely. Well, no. Uh, very seldom do we ever have any. In fact, I can't remember any event that we have had alcohol at. Not Mud Club. Now, 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 the Scuba Vest tra- Obsessed group traveling with uh, Rich Senowick's a different story. Well, that's a, that's the <laughs> items we don't talk about, though. <laughs> <laughs> what stays in a dive trip? What's, what happens in a dive trip stays in a dive trip? Is that the... Well, better. better. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, there, there was some... Uh, some liquid libations taken then. But, yeah, so we, we broke in an, uh, a different location, one we didn't normally go to. But it was nice. You get to hear some stories. Uh, Richard was talking about his trip down to Florida and some of the experiences. And he had a healthy amount of dives going in. Yeah, I think he said 14 dives. 14 uh, dives. Some cavern diving, some good wrecks. Yeah, he was diving every day. And, and he's the way you do it. I mean, he went down there. Uh, shop said, sure, we'll be going diving. And then when he got to the shop, they went, oh, no, the weather's too bad. It's too cold. Boats needs repaired. So he went through three or four dive shops till he found one. It was like, yeah, we're going. And that's the one he seemed to attach with. So he, he got in quite a bit. He did some, uh, he went to Jenny Springs, did some diving there. And then he did out in the uh, Pacific side, the Fort Lauderdale area, I think is where he was at. Yeah. So it's always good. Well, like it says, uh, if you dive up here during the winter, you can dive anywhere. Yeah. And there, you know, down there, it's like, it's chilly. It's like, excuse me? Yeah. I'll take you chilly any day. Well, I did have, uh, when I was down there, and it's been a couple of years ago, we, I did experience some low vis. I can remember lo- looking at that going, you got to be kidding me. 
Well, look at Faulkner's picture of the tanks. Oh, that was yeah, that was a that was terrible at low vis. Yeah, six foot visibility. I got better than that in the river. Yeah, they need to bring up bottles. <laughs> He's been doing pretty good on anchors down there. He tells me. Oh, and his anchors. Yes. You got an anchor garden going. Oh, I, my understanding, he has an anchor garden going. Yeah. Yeah. Did did uh, Jim Schultz ever get a hold of him? Because Jim, last time he was down, couldn't uh, get a hold of Faulkner. I don't know. Yeah, you but might mention to Faulkner went... that Jim's down there. I don't. Then maybe they can connect. Yeah. I mean, Jim did do the dive on the tank with him, but he's yeah. the last time he was down there, he wouldn't. Now, the the thing is, he's either at home and available, or he's traveling for work, so that could be it. But So a nice dive this weekend. Okay, we'll have to keep an eye on that. Hopefully we got that so we have something more to talk about next week. Yeah, I think we're going to have a high of 30 on Saturday. <coughs> yeah, so that'll yeah. be the warmest it's been for weeks. Yeah, I think we're going to have negatives tomorrow. Isn't that one of them? Again, yeah. Well, I haven't seen too many negatives this week. A few weeks ago, I was seeing a lot of negatives. Most of the time, by when I'm getting out, it's been in the twos and threes. And that's not counting wind chill factor. Oh, no. No. The wind chill, I mean, I can appreciate that will freeze you quicker, but that's more for shock value, I think. And then school, I think they have to factor it in. Uh, my kids, I don't know if they got school tomorrow. They didn't have it uh, today, and they went home early yesterday. Yeah, makeup time is going to be very interesting this spring. I don't. I think we've still. They still got a couple more days before they have to make it up. All they got to do is chop out spring break. Come on, they don't need it. Yeah. Well, spring break's coming up. <laughs> it's not too long away. Hey, when when the Daytona comes up, the Daytona race, it's officially spring to me. Yeah, I agree. It's all downhill from here. Because like, okay, so let's see what's the date, which I said at the beginning, and I can't remember now. Is the nineteenth. It is the nineteenth. So in thirty days, it'll be March nineteenth. And it is possible to have grass growing in a 60-degree day. I'd like my snow to go away by then, yes. Yeah. I, know. I, it, I hate it when it gets to the point that I don't mind shoveling, but when I have to toss it three feet to get it over the berm already, <laughs> that's when my back starts hurting. Yeah, I, I, I counted that. Work. I counted my shoveling the driveway as a workout on my uh, exercise log. I did mine four times a day just to keep it sort of clean. But, the you know, the berms, and especially down by the driveway where the freaking truck comes. As soon as you get it plowed, that truck will come by because he's hiding around the corner. He is. He'll put everything in the road back in your freaking driveway for five feet. And by then it's ice, slush, frozen chunks. So yeah, he, He's waiting for you to go inside so that it, oh, absolutely. It's, so it can solidify because it's really not good until it gets nice and frozen. And you got to chip uh, it off. I am seriously thinking about getting my my flamethrower out <laughs> and uh, take care and take care of it. I I've done that in my step one year. I was I'm like I I had ice so packed on there. I I brought out the dragon and let it start melting. Now, it doesn't melt us. when you start talking about snowblowers, and then when you talk about flamethrowers, they say, "Yeah, you're kidding." No, we're not kidding. <laughs> no. And the, and the thing with that dragon is, you would think it would melt the ice much quicker than it does. When you, gotta, you get it down to the skim, it does pretty decent. Yeah. Well, and you have to have the right technique because if you don't do it right, you just liquefy it and it freezes onto the ice next to it. Yes. So you, you kind of have to create like a little river and then you get the flamethrower to melt it off. And I, I just uh, imagine the images that people are thinking of when we talk about this. Now, I'd like to have a laser device I could use to cut ice. A laser beam. That would be good. Nothing on the head of a shark? You've seen people talking about using a uh, a saw to cut the, the ice with. We've got pictures of a guy from, you know, in another hole, one under. So you can actually see what that chainsaw looks like cutting holes in the ice. Yeah. yeah. We've, got, we've seen the chainsaw from underneath. 
Yeah, you don't get too close with your head, though. No, and it does kind of look a little eerie, doesn't it? When it, and you see it, it doesn't look as dangerous, which makes it all that more inviting fear. to get close to or try to get. I a don't know shot. if it looks inviting. It's just I. It's like it's kind of like looking over the cliff. You know, and it's it, safe, but it's just something, something that draws you out. It and it's noisy. Yeah. So hopefully we'll get a nice dive in this weekend. I'm ready. Uh, you got anything you want to plug before we go? Well, no, I thought I'd mention the uh, world. Then we've got four T horses the week after that on the 7th of March. Mm-hmm. That's uh, going to be pretty decent. Uh, let's see here. Oh, uh, I was thinking about going up to Sheboygan the 14th of March and do the Jenny Lynn. Really? Yes, they're going to do an ice dive on the Jenny Lynn and uh, Duncan Bay at uh, Lake Caron side. I saw the videos from last year, and it's like, damn, that could be fun. Now, have you told the Jenny Lim? That's a tugboat that sank in shallow water, maybe 30 feet. Is that the one that um, just sank a few years ago? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, no, I, I haven't I haven't been on it. I mean, maybe we went by it and talked about it, but I don't think that may not have been down when I was up there last. That's sad. But it's a couple of feet thick there, and I think they got 14 guys signed up for it. And that's like, it's a long trip up there, but that would be a cool dive. Yeah. Yeah, that might be an interesting one. I'd have to see. It's hard to plan that far in advance, but. Yep, and then after that, we've got the uh, sportsman dinner for those who are going to participate. You're going to be doing that? I don't think so. I mean, okay. that's that's a, that's a nice dinner, but I'll, I think you've got enough people going for that, so I'll probably pass. Well, I'm, I'm not sure if I'm going to be at that one because I may go to Ohio and go to Scuba Fest. Oh, okay. Yeah, the Scuba Fest is a nice show from what I understand. Right. have not been to that one yet, and that's what I was thinking about going to that one, see what the other side of the world looks like. So that's the only thing that I've got on the calendar right now. But safety day, but that's a different issue. That's coming up in March. You said safety day? Yeah, safety day in March. We have that uh, for jumping. Oh, okay. It's your gentle reminders of what to do, what not to do, and uh, it's well worth going to. I usually go to one or two of those. And so when they say what not to do, that's usually like they don't want you to die. What? Did you see that last video I, I posted? <laughs> no. The static line jump, the guy goes out, and he uh, screwed up from the get-go. Oh, no. Oh, yeah. You have to lick at that one. Oh. Uh, and he's being towed behind a jet, <laughs> oh. a big sterile liner. And I know that whenever they cut the line, because he was wrapped up badly, I, he, I know he said, I'm going to die. But before they cut them loose, they were able to rig a different parachute to the end of the line. So after it cleared the aircraft, the parachute opened. But for a couple of seconds, that guy had no clue that he had another parachute out there. Video is awesome. I'll have to, if you have, go to go to Facebook, just find it. it it'll scare you. Wow. That, yeah, that, that does scare me. Which is probably not a good thing to do to people who haven't tried to skydive yet. Yeah, it's, it's funny that some people get spooked even diving. Yeah. Well, I think it's that time of the show. Okay, um, I'm hanging in here, bated breath. Okay, so here we go. Lisa, a 16-year-old girl and scuba diver, nervously brought home her most recent boyfriend to meet her parents. Although Lisa was very fond of him, she was nervous about what sort of impression he'd make on her parents. After all, he was full of tattoos and rings all over his body. Mom said, Lisa nervously, I would like you to meet Spike, my boyfriend. Spike, this is Mom. After a few minutes of small talk and pleasantries, Lisa's mom called her over and whispered, Lisa, I don't like him. He just doesn't seem very nice. Mom, please, retorted Lisa. If he's not a nice guy, how can you explain the 40 hours of community service he does a week? 
I know that comforted her a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm such, such a model citizen. What if they give him a uniform when he does that community service? Probably not. I know when I go metal detecting on the beach during the summer, it's very easy to tell who the volunteers cleaning the beach are because they're wearing orange. <laughs> yes. And there's usually a guy with a with a shotgun walking along with him. Actually, there's there's a women's group that comes out there and a guy's group, and they seem to alternate, not at the same time. Until next week, go out there and get wet. And stay safe, people. Did I, I, did I tell you that they offered me the job of supervising one of those crews? That well, was... I know that if I were in the local Huskow, I'd take any opportunity to get the hell out of that oh, place. You have to be on very good behavior. That's a privileged position. The The spot that they were, were going to give me is they've got somebody who does it during the week, and they need somebody to do it on the weekends. But the problem is you had to commit to doing every weekend. Yeah. And I'm just like, what, no life? That's when I scuba dive. So I I, I told the sheriff, who's a friend of mine, I said, nah, I, I appreciate the offer. Because that had made it easy. His brother was actually the one doing it. His brother had been running the crew and he ran it for about five five years. And I think he was ready to retire. Well, the Marine Division was looking for volunteers. And I looked into that. But it's the same reason. They definitely worked the weekends and all the holidays. Well, uh, civic-minded as I am sometimes, I like my days off and my holidays. Find the area. Now you're looking for the on-off switch, huh? Yeah, I got to find the button. It was about three layers down. Call recording has been completed. Ah, she's back.